Hey, all you crazy sci-fi and fantasy fans, it's time for your daily dose of shenanigans over here at the Blasters and Blades podcast. Just three nerdy veterans geeking out over our science fiction passions and fantastical fantasies. A place where magic is king, the sky is the limit, and space is the place. We are the podcast that puts the fun in dysfunction. So without further ado, we're going to remind you that, because uh, we record in weird order sometimes, that uh, Doc is not here because, well, she's in the middle of moving. So cross your fingers and your toes that, you know, they don't break something important because, you know, movers do that kind of of stuff uh but we have an awesome panel here today to talk about sci-fi horror all the terrific goodness that you love to hate or hate to love i don't know you're gonna find out as we discuss it but first we're gonna let our guests introduce themselves so in uh clockwork order because i've watched the brady bunch we're gonna start with mike gallagher so michael can you tell us uh, who you are and what you're known for introduce yourself uh yeah my name is um uh, Mike Gallagher. I'm the author of the novel Body and Blood. I also contribute to Upstream Reviews with my erstwhile uh, co-panelist to my to my right. And, um, I've also appeared in a number of anthologies. Uh, last year, Shoot the Devil, um, Swords and Maidens was my first fantasy anthology. Um, I'm also going to be uh, published later this year in Shoot the Devil's sequel, which will take place in space, so it is um, sci-fi horror, and I've also had short fiction appear in Cursova magazine. Nice. All right. Next, uh, we've got Mr. Declan Finn, who's a friend of the show and sent many guests our way. Uh, we we last summer we said, hey, we had a bunch of cancellations because you know parents had to do parent things during the summer, and uh, Declan, you know anybody? And before we know it, we were booked for three months. <laughs> so I mean. I know people. Not, not that we complained. It made our job easy, Nick. But Yeah, it did. <laughs> All right. I love the, the, the Spartan, uh, Spartan-esque uh, feng shui you got going on here. <laughs> Very well, it's because he just moved. Uh, moving has yeah, been in the, in the works. So he, he flew I didn't the know coop. that. Now I feel like an ass. <laughs> no, he flew the coop. He abandoned the um, the state of New York and the high taxes for your, your great state of Texas. Is it true, really? Declan, when you moved there that they gave you a rifle, a cigar, and a, a horse? Is that, still, is that still how that works? Say that the gun prices are getting too high. The man is... Oh, they see. And, uh, yeah, but, no, aside from that, Texas is great, and I've only been here a month or two. Yeah. And uh, so I don't know. He released some top secret information, and the Texas Rangers came and muted him for a second. That was not us, people. Nick, you need to call your people and tell them to chill out just a little bit. All right. I'll, I'll do what I can. I'll uh, I'll send my boy over at the, at the sheriff's department. <laughs> See. Right there, we do. go. There we go. And uh, another guest we have who's on the show sometimes, but came in by special request. We have Miss Stabby. Stabby stab. Thank you for coming on and putting up with him. Um, we, we promised the audience that you're not going to stab him on air today. No promises about future episodes. Not today, unless he gets squirrely. Uh, okay, so you set some conditions, but we'll, we'll have to accept it. So <laughs> if you read the title, dear listener, you, uh, you heard that this was a fireside chat, and we are going to talk about the horrifically terrible science fiction horror genre. <laughs> Uh, and Nick, since you wanted to talk about this, what is it you love about sci-fi horror? And then we'll sort of go around the panel and we'll, we'll start talking about it. Um, I think what I like most about it is that, like, I grew up watching um, old horror movies on AMC back in the day, like when I was like a, like a preteen. So, like, I would get Frankenstein. So, like, I love the mad scientist. And uh, that counts as sci-fi horror. You got Frankenstein, right? Um then, as I progressed through my my horror life and my affinity for horror movies, I run into movies like uh, Event Horizon, which is science fiction and horror, and it's it scared the shit out of me as a kid, <laughs> you know. Um, but Predator, Alien, the original Alien, nineteen seventy seven, seventy six, around there, seventy nine. Thank you. Um, and then aliens and then you get terminator terminator is sci-fi horror in my opinion i'll argue anybody that says that it's not um the first terminator also scared the crap out of me i didn't sleep much as a kid because i saw these damn movies that my parents <laughs> never let me watch you know yeah. um that's what i like about it um 
because it grounds it in reality, kind of. I mean, it's a bit of a stretch because it is science fiction, but the horror elements there, the tension is there, the the hairs on the back of your neck, you know, standing up. That that's all there in some of those movies that I watched when I was younger, and I I love them still to this day. They still track, you know, 30, 40 years later. Just amazing stuff. It's probably one of my favorite subgenres of science fiction, or my subgenre of horror is the science fiction horror. And then you get into the goofy stuff like Killer Clowns from Outer Space, where now you got science fiction, you got horror, and you got comedy. You know, so I think when you start merging genres like that, I think it's just it's a fun time on the couch without loot. All right, yeah. that wouldn't be Nick without the inappropriate jokes, and we're here for it. So uh, does everybody else like what what draws all of you guys to to sci-fi horror? Good of you to set the tone early, Nick. That you is why I'm nothing here. else for a spicy grunt. So, uh, so Declan, Michael, Stabby, like, what is it you guys love about the uh, the genre of sci-fi horror? Well, it depends on which version of sci-fi horror, because you have the Doctor Frankenstein. Man, Hi, Frankenstein is not a freaking instruction manual. It is a warning. It's kind of like you know. Every time I see a headline that said, hey, scientists have figured out how to resurrect dinosaurs. Guys, there are literally six movies and two books on why this is a very bad idea. So, you know, uh, uh, so you have that end where, let's face it, Jurassic Park is kind of horrifying, especially if you read the novel. And let's just say that the head of Jurassic Park was not the kindly old Richard Attenborough, who is Santa Claus with a twinkle in his eye. No, he was a sociopath. He was Bill Gates, only older. And yeah, it, he and wasn't half as goofy. What? Nowhere near as goofy as the new world or any of the sequels and sequel movies. And, you know, on the other hand, you have alien aliens, Terminator where, yeah, it's horrifying where, we have pulse rifles. We have out. We have. We're going to space the freaking monster. It's still coming. Mm. So yeah, it's basically every element of horror. Only yeah, now we get to up the level. Now we get to do sci-fi elements, and yeah, we spaced this thing. It's still coming. If you throw Jaws into outer space, it's going to be frozen fish food. <laughs> you know, you space a xenomorph. Crap, it's trying to get back in. Because all, all that Xenomorph knows is to reproduce. Yeah. And and, yeah. Pr- and protect the hive. And not die. And not, Well, it doesn't even care about dying because there's that um, that deleted scene from Aliens. Uh-huh. They had the, the automatic turret and they probed the hell out of it until it runs out of ammo. So they just kept sending droves of droves of drones mm-hmm. to take out the take out those guns and then when it ran dry it was just straight bedlam after that i mean they just sent the horde after it was awesome one of my favorite i clearly need to see the deleted scenes say that again jr i said i clearly need to watch the version with all the deleted scenes oh dude changes the whole damn movie uh for as much flack as i know that uh i think it's in resurrection gets I think there's this one scene that actually really illustrates that about the aliens really well, where there there's, they've got this lab and they've got like two of them behind this really thick sort of like plexiglass barrier where they're trying to observe them and everything. And uh, one of them is just constantly banging its head against the glass just over and over and over again. It, it just does not stop and it can't get through. So finally the other alien the other alien in the the uh, unit gets this idea, and this is the scientist's fault for putting them both in the same area together. Gets this idea, he just goes and he rips the other one apart, yeah, and lets the acid blood eat through the floor and, and make a nice little hole that he can get out of. Um, and and yeah, I think that's kind of what really kind of ups the ante with with sci-fi horror is you've got some of the supernatural elements which are are limitless for the imagination uh you've got 
it wedded to, to tech, which is sort of limitless to the imagination. But I think especially nowadays, what would scare a lot of people, I think, more readily is you also tend to have this complete unmooring from scientific ethics on top of everything else where it, it's just a perfect storm of like everything is going to go horribly wrong. And um, I actually think Event Horizon is like a number one movie for that kind of a thing, you know? Well, that's a good movie. Uh, of, of, oh, the tension is so high in that movie. Uh, yeah, uh, it's masterclass in, in, in cinematic tension. But it's like, yeah, it's like uh, mankind's folly and, and um, arrogance and hubris uh, in, in science totally without any kind of, 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 of guardrails. And it's just, you, you can't push the envelope far enough for horribleness for what you can possibly conjure up. I don't know. When I think sci-fi and horror, I think like video games, like Bioshock and dead space, mm -hmm. which were sort of, um, sort of iconic, I think for at least for, for video game properties, uh, as far as it goes. And Bioshock, when you mentioned medical ethics, I mean, that's a case study in how you can jack things up if you don't yeah. really care about ethics. Um, now, I think Bioshock was trying to make a statement against unchecked sort of libertarianism mm -hmm. um, as, a, as a thing, but I didn't get that when I played it because I was too busy with the jump scares and trying to, you know, avoid <laughs> Big Daddy. But, um, but I can see it looking back. But, I mean, it's an interesting concept to play with. Yeah. I think what makes them so terrifying, both Dead Space and Bioshock, is because they're closed environments. So, you know, the city under the water, the yep. space station, what, like, yeah. I think that not too. being able yeah. to get away creates yep. the tension. I think mm -hmm. horror uses that a lot. What do you think, Declan? Oh, man, his Wi-Fi is not liking him today. What about, you, uh, yeah, what about you, Stabby? What are your, what are your thoughts? Do you, uh, you obviously haven't seen Terminator all the way through, and we're going to fix that. She got your homework. <laughs> snitch <laughs> okay so um when it comes to terminator i fall asleep every time i've never seen any of them all the way through and fall asleep i do every time and i've tried millions of times that killer android when it comes to sci-fi horror i think it's a personal thing um Sci-fi horror can definitely be Jurassic Park. It can be aliens. It can be predators. But if you like really kind of dig deeper into your personal likes and dislikes of the genre, it could be it. You know, they have the deadlights. They have yeah. the way that the Native Americans see it versus the way the kids see it. Uh, it could be Independence Day where, you know, it's alien invasion and you know you gotta save the world it can be absolutely any of those and i only recently saw event horizon um thanks to nick over here <laughs> for the first time one. and how do i claim to be the queen of horror and i never saw that one and so we sat down we watched it and i was like it's giving me hellraiser vibes but yes. then that kind of twist yes. Hellraiser for me. And I was very, like, very Hellraiser type of uh yeah. So that brings, you know, Hellraiser into the mix of also sci-fi horror, because like it kind of is two different dimensions. Mm. You bring multiple dimensions into it, and you know, it just all kind of mm. fits. And I absolutely love horror movies. I love sci-fi movies, but I lean towards the horror more. It's easier to sell me on that. Than just you know, kill a robot. <laughs> yeah. So for me, I, I like sci-fi horror when it's the cheesy, campy kind, because I'm, I'm a sucker for a good B movie. Mm -hmm. Um. So like, oh, uh, you, you gotta one. watch the last drive-in on Shutter with uh, Joe Bob Briggs if you love the B movie stuff. It's yeah, I'll have to check that out. But but yeah, I like I like them when they when they set the tension with the artificially enclosed environment. I think that does it. But to, mm -hmm. do you think it has to have anything to be qualified as sci-fi and horror? Sci-fi generally implies, you know, if it's science fiction, some sort of futuristic, I would think. What do you think defines the genre? Well, I mean, you have Reanimator, which would fall under um, sci-fi horror. Sure. Because you're, you're using science fiction. Science fiction doesn't always have to be in space or 
No, absolutely. Outside of Orbit. Uh, Reanimator, great movie. Great movie. Um, talking about, you know, because I think what makes horror really kind of impactful is that it gives you that life lesson or that just kind of like morality lesson. Like, just because I can doesn't mean I should. Mm-hmm. And we, we see it time and time again. We see it in Reanimator. Right. We see it in Jurassic Park. We see it in Event Horizon um, that we just talked about. Um, I mean, it's it's using science and um, putting a negative connotation to it. It's uh, it's it's misusing science, you know, which creates that tension. It doesn't always need to be confined space. I think that's what scared me most about aliens, and also why I love it so much is because it it makes me face my fear because there was so much confined space. There was so much claustrophobia going on in that movie. It was insane. I was just like, my heart's just racing. I, it's still like, it'll set off my eye watch. Like, hey, man, your heart beats up a little bit. I'm like, yeah, because I'm watching Aliens. They're like, all right, say no more, fam. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But um, I think horror is tension and speed and makes you feel uncomfortable. I think that's what really gives you horror. I, you could also classify it as thriller, I guess, is another way. Uh, the way I differentiate horror between thriller is how much it made at the box office. Um, and, <laughs> you know, um, so I'm definitely like, I'm like you, JR. I like the B movies, uh, killer clowns from outer space brought a lot of tension, but also a lot of, brought a lot of comedy. Um, Tremors. Tre- Tremors is an amazing sci-fi horror movie. At least the first one, everything else, when you start introducing creatures known as ass blasters, it kind of loses its, you know, punch, but it's still fun. Oh yeah. You didn't like the, the ass hell? blasters? <laughs> <laughs> All right. I love the ass blasters, okay? In the movie. I'm sorry. In the movie. Now, what makes Tremors... Uh, uh, what makes you qualify Tremors as, as a sci-fi horror versus just, like, creature horror? Or isn't the creature... That movie I always kind of... Hey, hey, I, guess I, I haven't oh. seen it in a long time. Is that the case? I thought the creature was from another planet. That's why I said I could be wrong. Oh, okay. They were implanted. Yeah, that, there was like a meteor type deal. Like the, yeah, uh, that's what I thought. Yeah. Well, I guess that would deal with then. Yeah. Okay. But you don't okay. find that out for like four damn movies. You know. <laughs> uh, okay. All right. See, I haven't it, seen the first Tremors. Yeah. The, the, yeah. <laughs> I I would pay just to see. Uh, what's that guy's name? You can talk. It's okay. Kevin Bacon. No, no, no. Uh, the guy Brad Pitt. Michael Gross. <laughs> Is it Michael? Uh, well, anyway, somebody. He, he, carried, he carried the franchise after like three. So. God bless you for making it through that many Tremors movies, man. I, I couldn't do it. I, so, I was, yeah. They're in her. It was Michael Gross. He did definitely carry them all. He played Bert. And um, thank you, Bert. <laughs> he uh, he definitely did carry all of those movies, but I think the way that they de- they described it in the first three was they were prehistoric. They were around when the dinosaurs were around. It was the movement of human that brought them back to the surface, um, and then later, later down, when they brought Jamie Kennedy into the movies, they. Um, introduce the whole they crash landed thing. Okay, I didn't realize that was retconning. Like the uh, so that's so in your opinion that's right up there with the midichlorians, huh? Don't don't talk to me about midichlorians. I'll I will force choke you through here. <laughs> that was a dumb explanation of how the force works, and I I'll slap George and George, me and George from the same hometown. I'll slap the hell out of him. <laughs> so. That was not do right. Think, do you think sci-fi horror works better in any specific medium? Do you think it's better on the screen versus book versus video game or you know actual RPG games? Like, do you think any one medium is better to present sci-fi horror? Like by RPG, do you mean like tabletop games? Yeah, like D and D style type stuff. Yeah, like so uh, yeah, I've, I've seen the Call of Cthulhu put in space as a as an RPG, which would qualify it. Um, I played an Aliens t- uh, tabletop game once, and I, I got to tell you, it was horrifying. I don't know why it was horrifying. Maybe because we dimmed the lights, which seemed a little weird with a bunch of infantry officers, but I digress. But 
just the setup. So whoever, like the game master, really set it up where it was, like he had he had a playlist with like intense music. Like this guy went all out. So it was it was pretty intense. Um, but the aliens um, video games that they've made, they put you in a confined space and it's dark and you got like this little tiny ass flashlight as you go around. There's jump scares galore. Um, I don't know. I don't think it's really um hardwired into a particular type of medium you know i think it's whatever creates that tension raises your your blood pressure and your heart rate you know i think that's what is really kind of the the, the horror that we're looking for that's why we do horror stuff that's why we watch movies that's why we play those games i'm playing one right now if i played it during the day because if i played it during the night ain't gonna happen shit was scary so then let's talk about the psychology of, of horror and sci-fi horrors more narrowly. What do you think about horror that makes it appeal to people that they like to be terrified and afraid? Helplessness. All right. If you're the queen, if you're the queen of horror, Stabby, what's your thoughts on it? Why do you love it so? It's the adrenaline. It's the adrenaline dump. It's the not knowing what's coming next, but wanting to know what's coming next. I read all my Stephen King stuff before I ever saw a Stephen King movie. Um, it was just, it's it's that anticipation to know that it's coming, but not be sure of when it's coming. Um, I'm a sucker for a, a good book. If you do justice and put it on screen, I'm down with that too. Um, I love playing video games. So there's not much that, you know, it, I don't go from paper to the big screen to playing it for myself. Um, and it, it always comes down to the adrenaline dump. Silent Hill, The Last of Us. Um, I'm currently playing World War Z Aftermath. Like, it's it comes down to that adrenaline dump, that zombie in your face, that monster in your face, that alien in your face. Okay, what about you, Michael? Um, for me, uh, I I would say it's a couple of things. Um, there 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 is a certain allure to to uh, venturing into those dark places that where we know we probably shouldn't go. Um, that that's as hardwired into us as man's fallen nature. I mean, you know. Um, uh, whether that be like you know a uh, uncharted corner in space or like you know a couple of kids on halloween with a ouija board you know mm. um but um i actually uh for as much horror as i write i hate being scared <laughs> um but what i love what i love and what i can really just savor and appreciate when somebody does it really well and for movies 1408 was fantastic about this the first half of it is laying that groundwork about the haunted house about the derelict space station about the uh that distress signal that keeps coming through and just threading everything through and just finally getting to that place and you go in and everything looks fine at first or nothing seems to amiss, but you, you just know it's not. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that kind of creeping dread, that building tension, that part I absolutely love anybody who can really wind that tension as tight as possible before the big thing happens. And then I'm like, mm. <laughs> you know, um, which again, like I think aliens, all the, the first half of the movie was just like, these guys are badass and they're going to go in, they're going to kill these aliens. And then they get there and the place is stone quiet and little details from like, I'll never forget just like water dripping through a ceiling. A donut. Yeah, you could hear everything in that movie. Everything. A donut on somebody's desk, you know, absolutely nothing going on, but like the hiss of the doors opening. It's so great. Um, that, that I can't get enough of. I mean, it, it, just give me a heart attack, you know. 
I think it's probably one of the best things when it's in fiction, like uh, like novelization, is that your imagination is going to create so many more terrors than the yeah. author ever intended. Especially if you're writing and uh, Declan, if you're not frozen, you can kind of let me know your two cents on this thing. Okay. Especially when you don't have that visual power of a medium like a, a video game or a comic book or a movie. Uh, if if you're just writing it, you've really got to know how to do that well, wouldn't you say? <laughs> you don't even need. Oh, oh my! What? You broke the internet with them. Okay. No. Uh, as I was about to say, was you don't even need a book. Oh man! Pause. You don't see the bloody shark for what three quarters of the movie mm -hmm. because you it's under the water and yeah. Your brain is going to do 90% of the work. Same mm -hmm. with tremors. They're, the worms are under the under the sand for, what, at least two-thirds of the film. Uh, probably even 90%, come to think of it. Yeah, they don't really show up to that third act. So we talked about settings. So let's, let's dive into that a little bit. I have seen settings where it's obvious you walk in, it's ominous, the, the, the darkness, the flashing strobe lights, you hear the sounds of the dripping water implying, you know, death and decay. I've seen others, the atmospherics, yeah. I've seen others where they made it so cheerful, like like uh, how Wesley Snipes' character in Demolition Man described it as the evil Mr. Rogers, where <laughs> everything's so cheerful, it's like, wait a minute, what? Do you think one version of setting the atmosphere is more terrifying than the other, or is that too... Uh, consumer specific because the cheerful on, one freaks me out more depends on the execution really i mean yeah hell 90 per, i i gotta tell you demolition man was not that creepy like uncanny valley but never reached the level of horror that i don't know an entire world of it's a small world after all would be because that would be creepy especially if that was the whole planet uh uh but no, it, it all depends on the execution. I mean, hell, you, you, oh, you want a good movie that does ec good execution on just atmospheric without even needing to show you the monster. It's It was a movie called simply Them, which, you know, it sounds like, oh, it's another giant monster movie, but it was so intelligently executed, it was surprising. It was like, wait, all of these actors are taking it seriously. This should be a B-grade skip. A script, mm -hmm. maybe even B minus. It's right. like <laughs> everyone's taking their job seriously. Everyone is delivering their lines straight. It's not like I don't know, Hammer Horror Dracula, where even Christopher Lee is going like, "I'm saying what?" <laughs> <laughs> is that the one with the giant like ants? Yes, giant ants. Yeah, in the fifties, right? Yeah. yeah, and hey, yeah, also, classic. yeah, and also original, the Japanese Godzilla. Yeah, you know, the original Gojira. Uh, you don't see Godzilla for 45, 50 minutes. Mm -hmm. And it's like, okay, did Steven Spielberg steal a lot of this for Jaws? Because it starts right. with a lot of boats getting sunk. Huh. All we need is the John Williams music and we're set. <laughs> so I actually, I actually, you mentioned the classics, think some of the older movies can be scarier because they had to rely on actual dramatic acting and less yeah. on the green screen of, you know, oh, yeah. laziness. So <sighs> you had to actually be, and I don't want to say classically trained because I'm sure there were some naturals, but but there was something there when the actors sh showed their terrified face. They didn't just okay. run around an empty studio and then they add explosions later. I mm -hmm. think that added something to the, to the ambiance they were setting. Mm -hmm. Oh, the day the earth stood still? Uh, birds, so, the black and white so, Oh my god. So um, movies. Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Uh, the 1979 uh, or, or the 70s version. This one's kind of more of a cult classic. I'm sure you guys know. Uh, Prince of Darkness. Oh, that's a great movie. Whole movie basically takes place in like one building. Right? There's a scene of that one guy's like down in the down the alleyway, and then, like, all the vagrants are, like, closing in on him. Yeah. On both sides in the alleyway, and then he's, he's like, trying to scramble up into a window, and he, like, barely makes it. Um, it, it. Incredibly compact setting, but it was, like, all exactly that kind of thing. The the looks on the faces, the fear, um, how well it's sold. And um, 
I don't think that was like a big budget movie either. I mean, it had uh, very little in the way of special effects. Um, but so scary though. <clears throat> but we were talking. Was, I, go ahead. I was just going to say it's like I, I think it also kind of speaks to a different generation of actor where people would give weight to a subpar script and elevate it. That I don't think you'd find out outside of the indies today. Yeah. Um, well, we're discussing that. we're discussing the psychology um, behind it and the psychological effects of it. And if we really want to get into, I'm going to actually circle back to what Michael was saying about 1408. Um, that actually was a phenomenal movie, and I went and did a little research into it, and I come to find that it was based on a real hotel room out of the Hotel Del Coronado, which is seven miles down the road from my house. So now every time I drive past it, I'm staring at it like, oh my God, what if they lock, like, what if they put somebody in that room? And that- Are you gonna go that- stay there now? Yeah, oh, research. Heck research. No. no, you don't go in there when you have demons in your past. I've watched all seasons of Supernatural. I'm prepared. (laughs) (laughs) So we were talking in the side chat. One of the things that, you know, is an example of the classics that did it right, which is Pod People, which I think is more commonly known as Invasion of the Body Snatchers. I definitely know it's sci-fi. I would say it was sci-fi horror. I know some might argue otherwise, but that idea where you create the tension by the not knowing and what what Mm -hmm. Declan hinted at is just letting people's imagination sort of fill in the blanks for you. Yeah. But in a way that doesn't come off as just being lazy, I think. Right. If they remade it today, it'd be totally lazy. Um, um, didn't they already do one with Nick? Nick? They a great, exa- a great example. A great example of a movie that totally botched it was Cloverfield. I haven't with seen that. Shaking. Why did they botch it? Well, ninety percent of things supposed to be found footage. It's it's basically shot in shaky cam was so shaky that people were getting sick watching it. That's, mm-hmm. that's how horrible yeah. it was. But it was just a lazy tactic to obscure the horror that that I think, you know, they're they're trying to make it all mysterious and and make you scared because you don't see the threat. But instead it just totally turned people off and was just like, what is this just stop shaking the camera? Yeah. Right. Well, Cloverfield did that for two reasons. One, it was, oh, look, uh, Blair Witch just came out a few years earlier, and ooh, shaky cam is all scary and nonsense. And the other thing is, we're going to hide our crap CGI. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like, how many yeah. how many CGI monsters see the first Godzilla of the current batch? It's like, gee, all of this fighting is done in the dark. You guys do not have... <laughs> <laughs> it's rough. It's the horror. He's setting the ambiance with his dramatic pauses. He's there's, actually there's not tension paused. there. There's tension. He's creating tension with his uh, his excellent mime skills. Um, yeah. Well, we're gonna pause right now since he is frozen, and we're gonna shamelessly shill for the man. I'm gonna th- throw that commercial up, uh, and it's not sci-fi horror, but you know, it it had some scary parts. Let it roll across a thousand battlefields and a million wars. There is always a question. What do you do when all the chips are on the table? Do you run? Try to find salvation in the arms of an easy peace? Or do you stand and fight and send your enemies into whatever hole they crawled out of? On Deadly Ground, a heroic Last Stand anthology has ten stories addressing that question. Each character faces the impossible in different ways, but all will be tested before the day is done. Can they earn a heroic victory amongst the endless eternity of space, or are they doomed to fall into obscurity? Um, I'm just going to say that at the, hero- the heroic last stand, I made three editors cry at the, uh, the moving scene of my short story, so I'm going to take that as a win. I'm hoping they're not crying because the writing was so poor. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look at the positive. Yeah, let's go with that. Was it the one that you had me read? Uh, no, that's going in the um, the zombie anthology, which is coming out as soon as the um, the artist finishes the cover. Oh man, can I just that tell you how sec- 
Can I just tell you how, how, how psyched I am for that? I had so much fun writing that, that story. And Nick and I, I've been trying to drag him out of the comics and into the writing. So like I, I co-wrote that short story with him. Um, oh, cool. But you one bet. of these days, one of these days he's going to, he's going to decide not to draw the pretty pictures and he's going to write the words. Declan and I are going to convince him of his, the rightness of our path. Unless he convinces Declan to draw, which I is know, a man, I draw really pretty, pretty pictures. I never understood how folks co-author a book or a story that, that I, I, I mean, I know, Declan, you've done it, and you guys have obviously done it. I just, when I think of a project like that, I feel like it's just so personal, I guess. It's like, as as a product of the imagination, how do you co-author a story? Like, how'd you go about it? I'm just curious. So Nick and I, um, and this is what I've done with all the, everybody I've ever co-written with, we come up with an outline together, because I'm an outliner. Uh, we lost Declan. Um, I, we come up with the outline together and then in this case, I wrote the first draft. It can go either way. You can, if you have different point of views, you can split those up and then whatever part you wrote, you send it to the other person and vice versa. And then you layer over it. So it has both of your voices. Cause in an ideal world, they shouldn't be able to tell apart. Um, they shouldn't be able to tell apart like your voice versus their voice. It should blend together. Mm-hmm. Welcome back, Declan. But yeah, so we'll, we might have to do one about co-writing, but I, I don't know how to do that in a way that is geared to our audience, which we try to keep towards readers and not other authors. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, as a nutshell, that's how that's how De- or Nick and I did it. And Declan, yeah. if you want to weigh in, um, you know, do you have a process when you do your co-writing? Uh, yeah, don't get too close to the other guy while you're doing most of the work. I have not had uh, fun experiences co-writing. Sounds like you said across the bow. <laughs> no, I, I, I'm I'm. I said it. across her nose, not up it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've pretty actually, much. You're signaling you that man a gunner. Yeah, I've actually uh, I've had a lot of good experiences, but like I, I wouldn't accept one if I didn't think I could mesh with the person. So I guess that's the trick: is to pick the right co-author. You know, don't dance with crazy, as they say. But okay, so back to horror. Um, do you think Nick the uh, way in because you, you draw the pretty pictures? Do you think spy, sci-fi horror can work in comic book setting? Oh, absolutely, because uh, they've made comic books out of Dead Space and other um, profitable sci-fi horror type uh, properties. Um, the only, I, I guess, the only drawback is is that now I'm providing the uh, visual representation of the danger as opposed to the reader. Um, coming up with on their own, which I think is scarier. It, um, it's now my job as the guy that's drawn the pretty pictures or the psychologically damaging pictures, which also challenges me because now I have to go do some really weird stuff that my FBI handler on my Google chat or my Google page is like, bro, <laughs> bro, what are you doing? So um, we've all got questionable Google searches from research. Oh yeah. Like midget porn or whatever. Um, for a story, we're not asking. We're not asking. I don't know, man. They've upgraded the midgets. I don't know what's going on. Uh, I made a promise. Can you make it where I don't break it? Okay, don't you don't have my, to stab you. Okay, she's gonna stab me. But anyway, no. Um, it does work in the visual medium. It just I have a lot more work now because I got to make it try and be as close to being as scary as the reader if it was just words is going to build up in their own brain. And, and oftentimes I fail short. So since we've got you here, Stabby, and you've called yourself the queen of horror, do you have a preference in like, you, you've played the video games, you've watched the movies, you've read the books, you've seen Nick's drawing. So I know you've read the comics. Do you have a preference preferred medium for your horror consumption? Absolutely not. <laughs> do you like all of the above? I really do. I, Love a good book. So I stay at home mom, stay at home, you know, wife. I take care of dogs. I read scripts. I, you know, help where I can with Apogee. I read over the, the you know, comics as they come, as the writing comes in, everything like that. I can honestly say that, um, I love it all. I I love it all because during the day I don't turn on the TV. 
I will sit there with a book or a script or the outline of a comic book. And that's what I'll do during the day. Once everybody gets home, that's when we turn on the TV and we make a decision for the day. Um, and then when we get ready for bed at night, that's a completely different conversation because we turn on shutter, which is nothing but horror. It's like sci-fi and horror Netflix. It's awesome. And we pick a movie and we have currently been stuck on this Joe Bob Briggs brings you movies or drive-in or something like that. The last drive-in. And it's so much fun. And it's all the cult classics. <laughs> and perfect example, we've watched uh, Brain Damage. Mm. Did not know this was a movie. But it's an That's alien just my life. Space. It's an alien from outer space. It does some messed up things. Made by the same guy that made Basket Case. That makes sense. <laughs> but, um, that that is another out there movie, man. It 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 yeah. was out there, and yeah. it did not get an R rating. It got a TVMA rating because of one specific scene, and I will try to keep this PG. But one specific <laughs> scene where the alien took on the appendage of a person. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, they really, they really just don't make them like they used to in the like early, late seventies to mid eighties. I feel like that is my um, favorite time frame. I think I once read that somebody said like, like uh, Maniac Cop nineteen eighty eight was like the last Grindhouse movie. It's probably about right because because after that it just got so clean and sanitized after that. But they, you just oh, they you just can't get wide release as grimy as it used to be anymore. So they say sobriety killed rock and roll. So apparently it also killed the horror genre. Because you've got to be like, tripping on something pretty hardcore to come up with some of these ideas. Yeah. So there's that, but also, like, nobody's original anymore. It's all remake, 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 yeah. remake, remake. We just went and saw the newest um, Evil Dead. I was so disappointed. I felt like I wanted to ask for my money back, and I never do that. I, I really was. No, Nick's giving her. If you're if you're listening, what you're not seeing is all the facial expressions of Nick being like, "Woman, you crazy." He didn't like it that much, too. Don't let him trick you. What? <laughs> the uh, new Evil we, Dead. Evil Dead. Oh, Evil Dead. Yeah. Evil Dead Rises, that's what I was talking about. I thought we were talking about Walking Dead still. No, I was talking about Evil Because we just e wanted to talk. E Evil Dead, Nick. Okay. Evil Dead. Yeah, the last one sucked. Turn your ears up. They are up. <laughs> so we have Echo. So far, no stabbing, although I, I see the stab meter getting closer and closer to the top. So gonna, we should get a gonna... meter that sits on my, on my this is, Yeah, Yeah, we should. This is going to be a two-person yeah. podcast real quick. So Michael, really quick. I, I asked, uh, I asked Stabby this, but do you have a preferential medium for consuming sci-fi horror? Um, as 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 much as I hate to admit it, I feel like the written word is probably the the weakest um, way to consume that sort of thing. It it's um, just something that so lends itself to the visual. Um, yeah. really any kind of horror, even going so far back as like silent films is, um, ju just, uh, shadow play, uh, framing, uh, you know, uh, music. The opera, uh, does all that. Right. It, it, it does. Co costuming makeup. There, there's so much that heightens horror. I think, um, Probably, I'd have to say for a favorite, I'd say is probably the, is 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 probably cinematic. Um, that that just really sort of ties everything about it that creates that mood and that dread, like nothing else can. Then through film, do you think that has to be has to do with like the lack of the imagination of the viewer? I mean, not to talk crap on our audience because we're all trying to make money off. No, right. I understand. Our stuff. But do you think that's just, um, 
Yeah, like lack of imagination, lack of life experience, lack of fear. <clears throat> Maybe they didn't have anything traumatic happen to them as a kid, which I find silly because like anybody who's grown up anywhere has some sort of traumatic event happen to them. Um, uh, well, yeah, maybe that could be a part of it. Yeah. And actually, now that you mentioned that, I, I sort of just had a thought where that, that whole fulcrum might actually be sort of tipping now because modern day cinema is sort of garbage and horror, even, even small budget, more experimental horror is, uh, I actually used to talk a lot about this with, uh, Damascus Mintzmeyer a couple of times. I've been on the critical blast podcast. He he's a huge horror buff. He he thinks it's mostly it's mostly trash too. You just don't. Okay, so you're talking about the guy that played Polka Dot Man, right? I don't know if he has any uh, credits. He's okay. he's he, he's the guy that hosts a podcast. Um, he look okay. he looks very very pale and goth though. Yeah, he also. I, if we're talking about the same guy, he hosted the uh, Chainsaw Awards for Shutter this year. Damascus Mintzmeyer. I don't know many. Oh, no, 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 no. Damascus was the surname. Sorry, I'm all off. Oh, oh, my okay. Bad. <laughs> my bad. I was about to say, I don't know many Damascus Mintzmeyers. He, he, he's got to be the same guy. That's the same guy. <laughs> Nick's an idiot. Put that but, there. But, in the, but um, notes. yeah, huge horror buff. You know, horror these days, we're kind of in like a cultural nadir with horror uh, because, you know, 20, 30 years ago, even with no money, you saw people that were putting out more creative things and telling more creative stories um so i may maybe that could be starting to pitch where where i i think some of it is as everybody's become addicted to the bingeable stuff they've been you know social mm -hmm. media tiktok youtube shorts and all the things they, they've done some studies that attention spans are getting shorter yeah having said that that could be part of it the other part you're seeing is we had it so good for so long in america because that's what our all of our points of reference are I think as the world goes to garbage, um, I think you might see a resurgence in this. I mean, you know, with uh, with the global tension with Ukraine, with Russia, mm -hmm. with China acting foolish, with Taiwan, with all, you know, with the, the fear of the, the bugs, uh, by that I mean viruses. Like, right. I, I suspect as those people try to process those concerns in a way that's palatable to their psyche, you're going to see a resurgence in horror, I suspect. Yeah. Me and Nick were actually just talking about it, uh, I think, yesterday. Um, I, we happened to be scrolling. I saw a movie that just came out. It was based off of a book I had read. And I was like, oh, man, I didn't even know that they were making a movie. And we started talking about a few of the books that I have read um, that somebody said, hey, check this out. And they made movies of And I'm like, the characters never live up to what my imagination told me they were. Right. Like, I built this whole cast in my head based off the descriptions you guys gave me. And those, those actors don't hold up to what right. I created. And then we talked to our 13-year-old son, and he's like, I guess it's kind of the same. And I was like, this new generation, they just, they're, his entire seventh grade this year was all on the tablet. Like, mm -hmm. he did not pick up a pen or a pencil the whole year. And I was just like, okay, I see where this is going because... I read Frankenstein before I ever saw the movie. I read mm -hmm. it. I read Cujo. You know, I, I read all of those. And mm -hmm. I was born with a seizure disorder. So I was, you know, in the hospital a lot as a child. And books were my escape, my escape yeah. from my reality. Sure. And so when they did make movies and I went and I watched them, I was like, okay, yeah, you guys did a great job. I love the movies. Obviously, I own them now. Yeah. But it also still didn't quite hold up to what that book made me fully you know see in my mind like that escape from reality for however long you have that book in your hand right. and this new generation i don't think they pick up books enough i constantly buy caden books like all the time i'm like here this is my books from high school read them because i want you to have the same passion i have but, you know, it's, it's a whole new generation. Yeah. If you're on a budget, there are a lot of the classics are available for free. There yeah. is the library, which has a whole slew of ebooks. 
I think mm-hmm. Amazon sells a lot of the classics literally for free. So I mean, sell is a misnomer. They give them away. Um, they, they'll generally be the ones with a solid cover that just says the name, name of the book and the author. I got almost all of Jules Verne's books that way um, mm-hmm. because they just, they're, they're free because they're in the public domain. So, I mean, it's, it's worth revisiting. Same for some of those old movies. That's why they're starting to pop up on uh, YouTube and they're not being censored is because they're in the public domain. So yeah, track to- of Phantom of the Opera. I mean, the list goes on all those classic movies that were put out um, yeah. since the invention of film, Nesferatu. Um, one of my favorite movies. Uh, we watch it. It's a silent film. And we watched Jacqueline it. loves that film. <laughs> he talks about it all the time. It's, it's so good because um, it does. It has everything that we've talked about. The entire show. We've had tension. We have drama. We have suspense. Uh, creepy special effects that I'm pretty sure that um, Max <laughs> Shrek was an actual vampire. That's how real it looked. You know. Yeah. I know. So we've talked about American films um, of all eras. Well, just English speaking, I should say. Does anybody track the horror genre in other uh, non-English markets? We do. We're big big followers of the French, Spanish, and Italian. And when they start dubbing the Indonesian films, because they look creepy as hell from the trailers, we'll start watching those. But we've been watching the international stuff, and some of that stuff is just... Oh my God! I don't know how many drugs they took, but it was a lot, and it scared and you liked me. It. Like, and, and I did like it, and I felt bad about liking it. There was times where I'm paused the movie, and I'm like, "Do I like this?" You just like, can't oh, help but like be it. impressed, at least. Yeah, because they're just so horrific, and it creates like they took that all the dynamics that we've talked about, what makes horror horror or sci-fi horror horror, um, and just like added Red Bull adrenaline and like some other narcotics to it maybe some coke i don't know and made a cocktail of it and they just it's non-stop it's just full hilt the entire movie and you're like oh my god and then at the end of it and this i think which is probably the best part of sci-fi horror or horror in general is that because you liked it you reflect at the end of it going is there something wrong with me <laughs> Because I enjoyed this movie, and it's don't get me wrong, it, there was parts that were absolutely terrifying, but I enjoyed it. So what the hell is wrong with me? Do I need a psychiatrist, a therapist? I don't know. Maybe electric shock therapy. Let let let's just dive into it because I shouldn't have enjoyed it as much as I did. So the funny thing is, is I've talked to um, one of the guests we tried to get on the show who actually writes sci-fi horror in the vein of like Dead Space is uh paulie cooley he's he's got some good stuff if you like horror and so i tried to get him on but you know his whole day job and ugh. but uh one of the things he hey. talks about yeah one of the things he talks about is how his uh his shrink has read some of his work and i'm like I, i'm almost kind of afraid to think of the idea that my counselors <laughs> might read what i put out i'm like uh <laughs> am i telling on myself <laughs> dude's getting committed so, for sure yeah but um all right so do you think um we're at 52 minutes. We sort of rambled all over the place. It was a fun discussion looking at things. If you want, uh, dear listener, in the comment section, you can reach out to us. And in many ways, we'll list at the end of the show. If there's any facet of it, we didn't talk about it, you want to, um, we can do that. Nick has sent me a uh, direct message on the side that maybe we could do a panel just on sci-fi video games. Um, but if you've got a uh, sci-fi horror video game specifically, um, so if you've got any avenue of the concept of horror in science fiction or horror in fantasy, which exists as well, uh, shoot us a message. We're happy to, to mix it up a little bit. We're trying to do more than just um, author interviews. And these discussions are fun. Um, they're sometimes on the fly. We gave Michael exactly two hours notice before the show and said, hey, what are you doing? Well, you're not doing that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so we, we're happy to do that. And so as we bring this to a close, before we let everyone, you know, tell people how they can find them, we're gonna say, see what your favorite uh, sci-fi horror property was. So you're gonna start with you, Michael. No, no pressure or anything. Uh, are we still talking for video games or or just or like any genre, like any sci-fi horror overall? Because this was Sky's the one. Oh, oh, um, I, you know, as far as horror that just like messed me up and had an impact on me, it's got to be the thing. Um, cause, cause I, the first time I watched that, I knew, knew it was a big horror movie. I didn't know what it, what it was about, 
So I, I went in there just like clean slate, Dave in the woods. And it was like, it's like, holy shit, that was scary. And it was like, and then holy shit, that's scary. And then it was just none. It just never let up. It was like every, I was like, oh my God, what's going to happen next? You know, it's just like, first it's the guy blows up his own helicopter and, and then the, the, blood the head the 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 defibrillator scene jesus christ um that that movie just and it's like i could have just reached down and turned the vcr off anytime right um quick side note on that note when i was uh in second grade this is growing up in the in the golden age of 80 slasher horror nightmare on elm street big movie on the block all my my friends in school are talking about it. This Freddy Krueger guy. And I, uh, my brother rents it and he's just like keeping it in the house. He's going to watch it later. I'm not supposed to watch it. I beg my mother to watch it with her. Right. She keeps telling me, no, keeps telling me, no, keeps telling me, no. Finally, she gives in. Tina's death comes up and I am, which is like what? 10 minutes in. And I'm like screaming, crying, hiding my face. And she's like, nope, you want to watch the movie? You want to turn it off? You go. So I had to get down within two inches of the TV to turn the VCR off. And that was basically nonstop. You straight up low crawled to turn the, the VCR off. I, I, oh, my God, man. And then, I take oh, a long, and then I take a long break and I say, well, I'll give this movie the thing to try. And, and it was just... Oh, it was unrelenting. It was that that messed me up. I gotta say, it's the thing. I would, I would have to say that's, that's my, my top, top five um, sci-fi horror. Oh man, John Carpenter yeah. is. Uh, oh, God. he's he's the king. He's mm -hmm. the king. If you knew the the language that they were speaking at the beginning of the thing, it would give away the whole movie because it turns out that it translates to "Don't trust the dog." It's a creature. It's the thing. <laughs> Ooh. What language was it in? I don't remember. Uh, whatever they speak in Norway, it was it was a uh, Icelandic language. Mm. I don't know if it was like Danish, uh, Norwegian, or whatever. But yeah, um, wow. it's right there in the uh, the uh, um, the notes from IMDb because I'm a sucker for those. Like when I watch a horror yeah. movie that's really good, I'm like, oh, I got to know more about this. I need to know the BTS stuff. And I'll look it up there. And I looked it up for the thing. And I was like, oh, man, if I only knew the language, I would have been it would totally would have spoiled the whole damn movie for me. And they tried to do it again in the prequel. Uh, I think it was 2018, 2019, 2018, uh, which was also an equally good film. But since you've already watched wow. the thing and if you went crazy and watched the 1950s, uh, the thing that came from outer space, it's spoiled for you. But um such great stuff. Um, and Carpenter's the king. I always bow down to him. He, he's made some of the most iconic horror movies that have ever been made. Yep. And I'll just leave it at that. So for me, I would have to say uh, anything in the Alien franchise, that really did it for me. Sigourney Weaver, I mean, come on. Anybody of a certain age, um, I'm just going to say she's right up there with Lucy Lawless and Xena, Warrior Princess. Um, yeah, every boy's first crush. Right, and it was scary for, you know, for the time, there wasn't a lot. I mean, it, it doesn't seem as intimidating, I think, if you watch it now. But when you watch it compared to what else was out there at the time and how mm. they pushed the boundary on filmmaking with that movie, you get a new appreciation for it. Mm. Um, thank you for my history of film class that I needed an elective in college. I, I learned all the things to put these movies in context. Um, we actually know, we interviewed a guy that's actually a professor of film. We might have to have him on one of, the, one of these days to do these chats, because that could be fun. So I would say anything in the Alien fr franchise, starting with the first one, because it sort of set set the tone. And I don't, we didn't talk about it during the show, but the movie Species, I think it came out in 94, 95? Yeah. That was a yeah. good one, and it was definitely an alien, so it counts as sci-fi horror. Yeah, um, yeah that was effed up. <laughs> yeah, it was twisted in the way it involved the whole familial dynamic and like, you know, your duty to your family versus survival and it just, you know, motherly instinct. And whenever they can hit all of those emotions, 
Like I actually watched that with a friend of mine while she was pregnant and she hated me for like two years. Well, species um, is like alien, but you focus on the queen. It's like a perspective shot of the queen, you know, just trying to like send her brood everywhere she could. Now it was great for a, um, a preteen boy because of the nudity. Just saying. Yeah. And then if you want to see how uh, some of that with the, the sort of horror elements in sci-fi, not sci-fi horror, uh, when they did Stargate Atlantis, listen to the lady that uh, Taylor, I think, was her name, the uh, the lady that was from the other dimension or the other galaxy. When she becomes a wraith queen and she's pregnant, I don't know. She was she had just had her baby when she became the wraith queen as the actress, uh, and so they would bring her her baby while she's in the getup, and she was like so afraid. She talks about it in the behind the scenes if you get the box set about how she was terrified her baby would either one not recognize her or two recognize her and then be horrified because the costuming was so so intense because they did everything with the prosthetics as opposed to CGI mm -hmm. uh, back when that was was shot. So mm -hmm. there's there's a lot of room to uh, doll in delve into i think with this genre and we only scratch the surface we hope you're liking these kinds of interviews that we're doing these kind of discussions we love having you on the show miss stabby uh, we're glad that you passed the test you did not stab him on air uh we'll do proof of life maybe again later in the week um just to make sure um uh, but with that being said so michael before we get your your social medias what are you working on right now uh, right now, I'm working on a um, sequel to my one book. <laughs> um, I'm about halfway through. I'm hoping to get get through the first uh, draft by fall, and then hopefully polished off and out by next spring. It's called the Gold Scapular. Okay, and so this is being recorded in uh, early June. You'll see it uh, the episode in July. So maybe he'll even have the novel finished if he doesn't need to sleep. Um, who knows? Anything could happen in the next next three days. Sleep is for the week, but as I have a seven-year-old, I'm probably going to be sleeping. <laughs> yeah, kids sort of demand your attention. They want things like food and air, and I don't know. It's they I mean, know attention. So, uh, so Nick, what are you working on in the wild, wild world of comics in the indie sphere? Okay, I just finished uh, comic strip four of the Phantom Hawk comic strip I'm doing for a kid and their a kid and a comic, which is being sold in uh, Barnes and Noble right now. Nice. Um, I'm also working on uh, finishing up issue two of the Phantom Hawk, the ongoing comic book series in original comic book format, and issue two of the Crimson Guardian, starring the Cardinal. Um, so I got a lot of my plate. I'm also doing script review for a new hero that we're going to introduce probably early first quarter 2024. Okay. And I am working on uh, doing some, we're recording this in June. Keep in mind, dear listeners, so things can change, but uh, the publisher has asked for the edited version ready to turn in for book one of our Cursed Brigade series with James Ward. So I am editing that first novel as I try to write the second one. And I will tell you, editing brain and writing brain are not the same brain. And uh, going back and forth might drive me crazy and have what little bit of hair I got left fall out. But we're going to do what we got to do to keep on going. Um, and I'm also editing a novella, which hopefully will be out soon. Um, it's a uh, sci-fi horror, actually. Um, I wrote it originally for as a novella for the Galaxy's Edge franchise, and they just they didn't think it was long enough to to tweak their readers, but it was too good to let laid away. So I stripped the Galaxy's Edge out of it, and I made it sort of a standalone space force space marine deal. Um, and I had fun with it, and the editors seemed to really like it. So that'll be out soon. Um, and yeah, so I'm doing some editing and some writing on the second book. And since Stabby, since you're not writing anything that we know of. What are you reading? Oh my God, you put me on the spot and I can't remember what it's called. <laughs> it was so good, it made her lose her mind. I but. actually, believe it or not, it's about vampires. I um, I just picked it up. I saw it on the shelf of one of the guys that was on one of your previous shows. I came okay. in after the show, joined the after show party, saw it on his shelf and I was like, I need that book. Turns out it's about vampires. It's so much fun. I've had such a blast getting into this book. Um, Caden just started summer. Today was his last day. So I actually get to enjoy it and read it and not have to worry about, you know, school drop off, school pickup so I can finish it. 
but that's actually what I'm working on. And so here's what we'll do. You can find the book uh, after we finish recording. You can get me the name and I will put a link in the show notes for any of the listeners who are curious and want to check out a book about vampires because that's not generic enough. Yeah, you know. <laughs> I do what I can. As far as what I'm reading in preparation for Independence Day, because, you know, that's, you know, Freedom Month is next month for Americans. I'm reading the John Adams series by uh, by David McCullough. Wow. wow. Sorry, not oh, sorry, you Brits. Oh, David McCullough's great, though. Yes, he, him and his dad. I, I have the coffee table book, like, edition of 1776. I love reading Nice, that. nice. Yes. It's called I, The Fear of Moncroy. Sorry. <laughs> oh, there we go. I don't need to drop the link. Well, the never mind then. <laughs> Make my job easier. I'm about that life. All right. So as we bring it to a close, Michael, can you tell listeners and readers – and viewers, how they can find you and buy all your things. Uh, sure, you can um, you can go to my publisher's website, sevensorrowsbooks.wordpress.com. There's uh, links to buy Body and Blood on Kindle and by paperback. You can also read uh, some short stories and some sample chapters there for the next book if you want to. And if you want to reach out to me, there's a contact form uh, page on the site as well. All right. And uh, Nick and uh, my links are always, always, always in the contact information. So that shouldn't be too hard. But uh, I hear Apogee Comics has a website or something. Yeah, we do. It's www.apogeecomics.com. So All right. and, if you uh, want access to our whole catalog and how to reach us or contact us or anything like that, that's where you're going to find us. All right. And you have uh, Declan Finn since he uh, he lost power or something. The Texas Rangers censored him. I don't know. But he had to bow out. Wi-Fi is sketchy in Texas, apparently. Uh, Elon Musk, get Starlink for Texas yesterday. Please make that happen. But um, with that said, I will link to him in the show notes because, you know, reasons. And you can find us on our Twitter at twitter.com backslash SF underscore fantasy underscore show. Sierra Foxtrot underscore fantasy underscore show. You can email us at blastersandbladespodcast at gmail.com. Again, blastersandbladespodcast at gmail.com. I promise we do read them. We do answer them. We have a Facebook group where all the shenanigans happen at facebook.com backslash groups backslash blasters and blades podcast again backslash groups backslash blasters and blades podcast we like it when you come over and talk to us there's all the ways you can engage you can follow us on our website at anchor.fm backslash blasters dash and dash blades again anchor.fm backslash blasters tack and tack blades where for as little as 99 cents a month you can support the show and help keep the lights on these shows aren't free to produce the uh the back end stuff costs money to operate and we appreciate when you do your part to uh to keep us alive and if you want to support the show more directly go to buymeacoffee.com backslash author jr hanley again buymeacoffee.com backslash author jr hanley be sure to put in the comment section that it is for the podcast and i promise i will keep my co-host doc seska and nick garber duly uh consuming shutter fly stock something something horror movies because i uh, clearly don't watch enough horror to know what that website is but uh we'll, we'll see if we can't fund them another subscription so they can uh they can take notes and scare you silly on the next production uh and with that being said Thank you for spending some of your precious time with us for the Nick Garber and the Doc Seska, because, you know, we've elevated them to the man, the myth, the legend, or lady in the legend status. Uh, I am J.R. Hanley, and this was the Blasters and Blaze podcast. We'll be back next week at the same time where we'll indulge our love of nerd culture, cheesy jokes, and all things that go boom. Thank you for coming, Michael. We really appreciate it. Absolutely, man. I had a great time. Thank you. All right. And 